Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hi, folks. Welcome to Making Data Simple. Al Martin here. I hope everybody is well. Spring is essentially here. Everybody's getting vaccinated. Uh, I am hopeful for a terrific summer. Today, I have Robin Hernandez, who's the current VP of Offering Management at Cloud Data for Watson AI Ops. And we're going to talk about AI Ops, what it is, what it means to you. She is an IBMer, but this is going to be a great conversation, I promise you. Robin, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me. So you got to give us a little bit of your history. You've not been on before. First timer, which is I'm very appreciative of. Can you talk to uh, kind of your career to get us a start? I started out in software development and worked in software development, uh, creating software for IT many moons ago. And then after that, I moved into a number of different roles, technical sales, and I worked in our IBM Cloud Garage and then into product management. Product management is really my home. I think in product management, you sort of own the business, design the product, work with the developers to really hone in on, you know, what features and functions the product should have, and then also work with sales and marketing, sort of soup to nuts, right? You work with all of the different disciplines to bring the product to market and make it successful. And I really love doing that. You use the term product management. Is it product management or offering management, or are they one and the same? At (laughs) IBM, we call it offering management. Externally, most people call it product management. So generally, when I'm not talking to an IBMer, I will say product management. Makes sense. What is your the portfolio that you're responsible for? So I have essentially our software that we sell to IT teams. It's called Hybrid Cloud Management and our Watson AI Ops portfolio. Are they one and the same or they different? I mean, a set, a suite of products. Today, they are a suite of products. We are merging them into one and the same. They have evolved over time. A lot of the legacy offerings in this portfolio used to be under an IBM brand called Tivoli. So we have all of the previously Tivoli branded products and then some new offerings uh, like our multi-cloud management offering and our Watson AI Ops offering as well. So we're modernizing and updating some of the legacy pieces and merging them together into the cloud pack for Watson AI Ops. I presume, and we'll get into this, but this isn't a just a repackaging of Tivoli. All new tools, or is it built on the Tivoli Foundation? Or definitely not built on the Tivoli Foundation. And I'm impressed that you even know that about the Tivoli Foundation. <laughs> that was a product I did work on when I was in development many moons ago. But certainly, IT has come a long way in how they operate and really has moved from a very sequential sort of process oriented methodology in the early days of IT service management to now with cloud, there's so many uh, integrated processes that our tools and software also had to be modernized to keep up with that. We created some new tools directly from organic development from scratch, so to speak. And then some of our legacy offerings we are modernizing, which means we take the best of what they have to offer that is still applicable to how IT teams are operating today. And we merge that into the product. And some of the more legacy pieces we will keep on the side and um, support our customers on as they are moving to new ways of operating. So let's talk about AI ops. This is of interest to me being in services now. 
What is AIOps? Can you give us a rundown and then I'm going to dive in if you don't mind. AIOps is a coined term that really just means we are taking the concepts of AI, artificial intelligence, and in particular at IBM, that is our Watson branded portfolio, and applying it to what IT or sometimes people say SRE engineers do in their everyday life today. And the whole goal of applying AI to IT is really to create better efficiencies and to produce some automation that helps them do their job more easily. So what kind of outcomes can I expect? I mean, what's the input and what's the output? It really depends on which IT process. But if you take one such as looking at the performance and the lifespan of a business application, that's one of the main jobs of an IT person. We can apply AI to that application and do everything from resolve generic maintenance issues more quickly to preventing outages of that application. I mean, outages still occur today. Outages occur for business applications. They occur for complete cloud platforms as well. The concept of applying AI to an application lifecycle or IT's processes around managing that application would mean predicting more quickly when a problem is going to occur and then having the remediation or automated actions that resolve that problem without having to have a human, an IT person involved in that remediation. So it's really about faster and more efficient business outcomes. What personas are we talking about that you're going to help out with? You know, I use the term IT operations and SRE interchangeably. I mean, IT operations is the broader umbrella. This could be an infrastructure admin, a software, you know, application admin, somebody that's managing a web server, for example, or managing a particular business application. Or when you move along to the more uh, IT processes that are aligned with business goals, when you start talking about cost management and return of investment of an application, you move further uh, or higher in this, the hierarchy of an IT organization. So it might be an IT director that's more looking at return of investment or even a CIO that's looking at cost optimization of their infrastructure resources. Those type of IT processes and use cases would apply to sort of C-level IT personas. You mentioned ROI. What is the return on investment? Do you have standard return on investments that we're seeing here that been done through case studies, et cetera, or is it got to do a proof of concept with a client before you're able to determine exactly what kind of return you're going to get? So ROI has really become so much more important in the IT world than it was in the past. I think in the early days of IT, they very much focused on managing servers and deploying software on those servers. And it was just considered a cost of doing business. We had to have technology, we had to have infrastructure and hardware, and it was just you know a cost center, if you will, as part of one line on the business balance sheet there. But more and more as IT hones in and optimizes their processes, the business is going back to IT and saying, okay, help me break down all of these different infrastructure costs, software costs, labor costs into the return that we're getting for the service or the application or the project that IT is delivering or return on investment becomes very important to an IT team 
proving their value to the business and the money that the business is ultimately providing for IT operations. So when we talk about return on investment, we make sure that our AI or AI ops that we're applying to these IT processes at all the different layers, you start from the infrastructure layer, software layer, application layer, process layer, and then ultimately IT talking to the business about their return on investment. We can apply AI and correlate them together and say, hey, we will help you provide more efficiencies to identify where maybe you're over-provisioned in hardware, or maybe you are spending too much on your software license costs to a particular vendor, and you can you know, optimize or reduce your license costs. Or maybe in the public cloud world, you're over-deployed or over-utilized in a particular public cloud that your monthly bill from that public cloud vendor has gone up too high. So all of these are different ways of measuring the efficiencies of IT and optimizing those so that you're really getting uh, the most bang for your buck, if you will, or you're really moving from IT being visualized by the business as a cost center to IT being visualized as a partner to the business. So in defense of my good friends out there that are listening in IT, how is this going to do something that I can't do? If I'm in IT and I'm doing this, I've been doing this my whole career. I know better than AI. What is it going to be able to find that I can't provide the business already? We get asked this question a lot because IT folks in particular never trust a black box, right? They always want to see what's under the hood and how it's working. So, you know, I like to describe a little more common usage of AI, if you will. I mean, most people can understand how AI is applied to the healthcare industry, And if you think about it, AI is able to evaluate and ingest data from years and years and years of health claims or patient records, and then identify the trends that humans, doctors in particular, or providers in the healthcare industry, were not necessarily able to correlate. You know, if you didn't have AI, you basically had to use sort of a scientific method approach where you ask a question, form a hypothesis, Uh, test that hypothesis and do experiments and then come up with your results or your conclusion. AI basically ingests historical data and accelerates that scientific method. And that is true whether you're applying that to healthcare, you're applying that to IT, you're applying that to many different industries or disciplines. So it's what do we not know? What do we as humans may not correlate as trends or patterns That's what looking at all this data and applying AI to that data can help us identify things that we did not know or even think about correlating together. Is part of the ROI that you talk to in saving IT manpower, or is it more in the augmented intelligence? In other words, AI alongside IT. How would you explain that? It is. And again, we can draw a similarity to healthcare there. It's not as if doctors will ever go away. It's not as if uh, IT admins will ever go away either. But we are accelerating and augmenting their labor by helping them make those decisions faster and helping them move on to more strategic projects, if you will. The same with doctors, right? The things that they can find by augmenting this sort of advanced analysis just allows them to focus on bigger problems. 
Now, uh, I got to believe another question you get around AI ops. There are so many different systems. It's going to take 10 years to implement this before you're able to get return on investment. I'm sure people are out there. I mean, you have different networking uh, configurations, different protocols, different infrastructures, different products. I mean, what does it take to set something like this up or and teach AI? The nature of AI is well, you typically machine learning. You got to reiterate, figure out, you know, what's working, what's not, and then you'll get the recommendations in the end. Lifting up the hood, what are we up against here? And that is one of the things I'm actually most excited about. As you know well, Al, we have many, many AI patents under the Watson umbrella. And by making Watson purpose-built for IT, we are making it much easier for IT folks to use than really could have been done in the early days of uh, Watson or AI as a generic discipline. So we're making it very easy to connect to the systems that IT folks already have. They already have performance management tools. They already have help desk ticketing tools. They already have log management tools. So all of those tools are collecting an abundance of data. We know what the most common tools in each of those disciplines are. And so we ship out of the box easy ways to quickly connect to those tools and ingest the data and correlate the data together into pre-built AI models that are specific for IT and get some recommendations, next best actions, we call them, mm-hmm. or automated results out of the AI. So quick wins, if you will, by making our Watson AIOps product purpose-built for IT. What's in and what's out? You mentioned network uh, performance. You mentioned application monitoring, IT infrastructure. What's out? Maybe I should start. It sounds like everything's in. What is not being measured? Our vision for the product is that everything's in. Some of the common use cases, though, where customers are starting is around application performance. And part of application performance is looking at infrastructure performance as a part of that, looking at my code releases, looking at uh, how the code is performing within a cloud-native, maybe containers and Kubernetes-based environment. So all of those elements correlated together is what really makes up the application and really affects any impact on the application performance and availability for users. So that is the most common place that customers start and where we're seeing most of the AI ops use cases today. And then the folks will gradually move on to things like compliance management, regulatory management, cost management, et cetera. You know, we often talk about the latter day AI, which is, you know, you've got a, a database, you've got governance, you've got a machine learning, AI, analytics, visualization, all built on a microservices architecture on top of a network. I presume when you are diagnosing performance issues these days, man, you got a lot to deal with to figure out where that is. In AI ops terms or the functionality therein, are you able to set it up such that it'll pinpoint, you know, go to any one of those areas, tell you where you're having the performance issues and straight into the code? So it doesn't necessarily go into the code. The biggest benefit isn't found by identifying a single problem in isolation. So for example, when you're out of memory or about to run out of memory, that's a performance problem for many years that IT has you know, found tools to automate that problem. What it will find is the relationship or the connection between many different systems. That's where the more difficult problems are to diagnose in IT. So for example, 
looking at network throughput in isolation, of course, tell where network throughput is going up, but you would also expect my network throughput goes up when the number of users goes up. So correlating that relationship and baselining what's my normal number of users to my normal network throughput, you know, maybe that's a 10 to one relationship for ease of, you know, example there. And if that 10 to one relationship gets completely out of whack, where maybe it's, you know, 20 to 2000, then there's a problem. Obviously it's out of the range of what is normal for an aggregated set of values, not just one value in isolation, but a number of different values that has a normal relationship over time for how my application normally performs and is normally used. That's really some of the bigger benefits of where applying AI versus just any monitoring or observability tool in IT can really accelerate the value of an AI ops solution. Here's my question. AI is machine learning, it's statistics, it's, it's computer science. You know, when you set up AI, and, you know, I, I drove a development organization for some time around AI. And, you know, a lot of times these companies, when they're instrumenting AI, you know, they'll, they'll be developing uh, machine learning algorithms. And I'd say like 50% of the, of the stuff that actually make it their way to production. And then once you get to production, because the data changes, the environment changes, you got to make sure that you detect those changes and or you know, you're not skewing your underlying data that affects the statistics, then you get bias or whatever. Can you describe to me the setup process a little bit? How long does that take? I mean, and then once you get it set up, how do you keep it into production uh, such that, uh, you know, because I got to believe network changes, right? The performance is going to change. You're going to correct stuff. The data that it relies on, you might add applications. So as soon as you run the last report, you know, the, the whole environment's changed based on that report, maybe even. You've got to change the underlying uh, data set, if you will. But can you uh, help me out in terms of how this really works? So we do ship AI models out of the box. So one of the first things customers will do is connect to their data sources and ingest that data. That's one of the biggest sources of time, if you will, when they first get the offering. And then there are some elements that we discover automatically and can link together to say this is a business application. And then there's some manual work too for the customer to say these other components also make up that business application. If there's not a way to automatically correlate that data into a logical business application, there may be some manual work there. And then the insights we can provide, because generally in IT, there are already monitoring tools or sensor tools that are continuously measuring from the network, measuring from your infrastructure components, measuring from your software uh, JVM, for example, and bringing those metrics into logs or into other tools. So we just collect that data from those tools and then identify and correlate the relationships amongst that data. And so as we come to next best actions or automated resolutions out of the AI engine, we are continually learning because we're ingesting that data over time. So what the normal baseline for any given application or for any given IT environment looks like is continually changing as we ingest that data, but they're not necessarily changing their AI model because the beauty of making this purpose-built for IT is that we know some of the common IT challenges and we ship the model out of the box. They can change it if there's something specific for their environment, 
But our goal is to ship those models and they're focused on ingesting data and training the models and continuously learning via the models that we ship versus having to create new models out of the box. When you say they're out of the box, was it truly out of the box? How much would be customizable? Our goal is that it's truly out of the box. So for IT, we know typical tools that they're using for performance monitoring, for example. They could be using a new relic, an Instana, a Splunk, uh, or maybe some older BMC tools. We know about all of these tools that are pretty common in IT environments. So that's why we're able to pre-create the models. And for most of our customers that are using these standardized tools, they don't have to customize it. Unless they're using something that's very homegrown or they've written scripts, they're ingesting data that's very specific for some reason to their environment, then that's where the customization would come in. If you're a client here, you're buying IBM know-how around AI via our Watson technology and the amount of clients that we've worked with and IT departments we've worked with. So we were able to identify best practices. I guess I say that versus if you're client listening and you say, well, I could just develop my own machine learning. Uh, we've already got the models. They're built on you know multiple clients, enterprise clients, uh, common scenarios, common use cases. So you get the best of breed and you're ahead of the game. Is that true? What would you add? That is true. So we, we ship the models and then we ship uh, consumable, easy to use ways of in- ingesting the data, easy to use dashboards and chatbot tools that output results and recommendations based on the, the data ingestion and the AI model output. Um, so it is making AI much easier for an IT person to use without becoming a data scientist. Hey, selfishly, I'm in services. What do I get to do in this deal? <laughs> do <laughs> well, I get anything or is it just out of the box? Come on, you got to give me something. <laughs> no, if you are in services, we have lots of customers, of course, who do have uh, customized tools or maybe a tool that we haven't heard of or haven't created uh, connections right out of the box. So a lot of our services teams are working with customers to create those customized connections, if you will or to just show them the value of AI based on starting with one application. We get that a lot. You know, can you come and help me with one? And then I'll understand it enough to apply it to my other applications and the rest of my environment. So it's certainly something that uh, IT folks still need help with uh, as they're learning. I think we ship purpose-built as much as we can out of the box, but it's not completely hands-off. Next Monday, I said, hey, I want it and I purchase it, how long do you think it would be? I mean, I know that that, uh, it's got to be a depends question depending on what the use case is. But on average, you know, when can I be in production? When can this be providing value? So right now we have um, what we call an elite team, and that elite team budgets about 30 days. But of course, it really depends. If you have a data source and you're ready to connect to it and you have all the credentials and you're ready to go, those are some of the things that could speed it up. A lot of times we are just talking to customers about uh, what data sources they would want to ingest and why and what's their goal as far as efficiencies in their environment is around preventing outages or reducing my number of incidents or improving a process. You know, what is the ultimate goal and planning sort of in that consulting phase of where can I best apply AI that's going to make a difference for my organization? But in general, we like to say, let's start with a project of 30 days and show some value. And so you can understand the tool and 
what it's bringing to the table, and then we can expand from there. I know I'm putting you on the spot, but is there like a use case for maybe a referenceable client that you could quickly talk to and say, here's the kind of ROI that they were able to, to obtain and, and you know, what kind of expectations the listeners should have? So one of our most common references is from a bank in Spain, Kasha Bank. And Kasha Bank has support chatbot, if you will, which a lot of us are familiar with. You know, you go in and ask for help and ask the question to the chatbot and the results come back. And so what we did with our AI ops there is that we took the data from this chatbot and found the most common questions asked or the most common problems that customers were having and provided a way to remediate those common incidents to the IT team so that there was less IT involvement and they can reduce the number of requests that come in. We would say, for example, in your chatbot, 40% of the time, someone is asking to reset their password, for example. We think you, know, you should create an automated way for them to go to a dashboard and reset their password. And so by doing this, it involves IT less. Yes, you have a new project, but it makes your consumers happier because they can self-serve themselves and you're spending less time and labor basically with your IT team on a simple task like resetting my password. Now that's a, an extremely simple task, but essentially the goal with Kasha Bank was to reduce the number of incidents and the number of questions coming in from their users. How much did we reduce it by? Do you have a kind of a mark? Well, outside of Kasha Bank, our research has shown about a 60% improvement in the number of incidents that come through when you apply AI to those models. And then we also have measured about a 25% labor improvement that allows you to you know, focus that labor on more strategic projects. So again, that's a very much could vary kind of number, but 60% in reduced incidents and 25% labor improvement is a general frame of what we see. Wow, that's impressive. So I'll look, I also come from a support background some years ago. Of course, I've always been doing some kind of support or whatever, and, and the threat of down systems, uh, down networks, whatever, is real and extremely costly. What kind of, I don't know if there's guarantees, but what kind of uh, preemptive avoidance does AIOps provide in that area? So you can think of it as your trusted partner, if you will. It really accelerates identifying issues before they occur, which will ultimately prevent those outages. We have had some customers that said, hey, an outage for us costs $150,000 every minute that this application is down. We're basically losing customer transactions, which costs that much per minute. And so we have had situations where the AI was able to identify a problem that was going to occur and remediate that problem on the IT systems before it occurs. Then there is no guarantee, but of course, the more data you feed into the models, the more accurate they can become, and the more precise the results and recommendations from that AI will be. Hey, you talked earlier about IT doesn't like black boxes, and I agree with you. I mean, that's by their nature. <laughs> but the question I have is, I presume not giving you the answer here, but this has to be explainable AI across uh, everything that's being assessed, diagnosed, et cetera. Absolutely. And we like to say consumable for IT, but transparent as well. 
So that is actually a huge part of what our elite team does when they go out and do these early projects. It's about showing, giving the IT admin hands-on and building their trust in the AI before they apply it to the rest of their organization. So yes, consumable, but with transparency. This is a, um, a model or a solution that's continually monitoring the IT infrastructure. I mean, just continuous. So we are not monitoring the IT infrastructure ourselves. There are other tools that do that, that IT teams have had for years. We are ingesting the data from those observability or monitoring tools. So how does that work? Who's monitoring then? So the tools that IT has, they've had monitoring tools for you know many years in IT right. environments. So those are the ones I mentioned around like a Splunk or a New Relic or an Instana. These are all common monitoring tools that IT will apply to their infrastructure and applications and software resources. And so that data is generally being written to log files or being collected in the different metric management systems within those monitoring tools. And so we ingest those and we can ingest it from one tool or from many tools. And then that's where we're correlating that data and finding the patterns and trends within that data. I got what you're saying. I mean, so... Splunk or whatever, they'll be monitoring. We take the, the the files and we start taking that data, making correlations, applying machine learning, and then de- determining where to act. And then that's proposed. How is that visualized to the client? So we have a dashboard where it is, you know, like many other IT tools, you can see what we call the story and the application impact, or we also integrate directly with chat apps tools. So you don't necessarily have to be looking at a dashboard all the time. Most IT people are not, but most IT people do use collaboration tools. So we send automatically that story and that application impact to these collaboration tools so that as they see uh, things about to occur, they can be alerted wherever they are working in their you know day-to-day job and then go back to their automation tools or their runbooks and make sure that that problem is being remediated immediately. This has been very good, very informational. Is there anything that we didn't say about AI ops that um, you want to make sure we mention or get to that I didn't ask? The one thing I would say is, you know, be leery of tools that claim to be AI, but are really rules-based analytics engines. They're truly not AI that learn learns over time or correlates those metrics in a way that creates a baseline for your environment. Because certainly the term AI is overused at this point. And we do work with a lot of our customers. We, as you know, Al, have lots of research over many years to create a true AI offering in the Watson brand. And that's really what we're talking about here. That's actually really good advice. Uh, I was at a client it was a, a customer support conference at one point in time, and there was client relationship management. And everybody seemed like they had a booth that said they were doing AI. Right. I was kind of amazed by it because we had our own Watson, our Watson assistant, truly AI, top to bottom. And I went to one booth. I started asking all kinds of questions, you know, how they were doing machine learning, blah, blah, blah. And before you know it, they were like, hey, dude, this is just rules-based. Yeah, we just We just call it AI because it gets people... They confided in me right there. Like, oh, okay. Well, uh, you know, you really shouldn't use AI if you're not, you're misleading the client. But he said, well, that's what gets them to the booth. That's the problem. (laughs) Well, I'm with you 100%.
Look, where can folks go to find more information around AI ops? You know, maybe even pricing, et cetera, what this will set them back, where they can see the ROI in action. Where would you take them? Yeah, I mean, certainly our IBM uh, webpage, if you search for Watson AI Ops, uh, we have a webpage there that gives um, lots of detailed information and also has a button where you can request a free consultation and request a workshop from our AI Ops Elite team. All right. Hey, thank you. We'll put that in the show notes and make sure uh, folks know where to, to get more information. Hey, I got a couple more questions for you if you'll stick around for another five minutes. Are you sure. good? Yeah. What are your passions personally? What are you excited about right now, You know, whether it's in tech or not? You mentioned that it's springtime at the beginning of the call. And yeah, personally, yeah. my passions are to get out of these four walls. <laughs> We've all been in. So I really... Really found myself spending a lot of time outdoors. Uh, I used to be a bicyclist many, many years ago, and then during COVID, I you know brought out the bike, and actually I got a new one for Christmas. So, been riding bikes a ton lately, which is really great, and also just picking up tennis, which was an old passion that kind of died down. But yeah, getting outside a lot for sure after being inside so long with COVID has been great. Amen to that. Uh, what kind of bike are we talking? I have a road bike and then I have a hybrid. So both carbon fiber, so not necessarily a mountain bike with the fat tires and a little bit heavier. It's more for road riding. Look, you're a leader in a high profile position. What is the one thing that you've learned around leadership that you stick to? Your principle, your mantra, whatever it might be. I really have a passion for people management and I love building teams and rallying them around a common goal, a common mission, generally a new product in you know, my particular case. But I think for any leader, finding a way to have each person in their organization be able to use their strengths and talents toward that mission and make sure that they understand how they can contribute where they are and with the skills that they have is so important. I think, uh, especially in the work environment, but really in any project that you're dedicating your time to, if it's worth your time, you really want to feel like it's something that you can contribute to, that you are a part of, and that your contributions are valued. So it, we often, as a leader, think about what skills do I need? And I will start with that, but then also turn it around to say, with the people in my org, do they understand and know how to best utilize their talents and feel like they are contributing and feel like they are part of the mission? How do you know when you have that engagement, when it's humming and, and you're feeling like, yeah, this, this team is aligned? That is extremely hard during COVID, especially. I mean, if you walk the halls, you can definitely tell if there's collaboration, people are talking, you know, people aren't sitting at their desk in isolation. People feel comfortable to give advice or give suggestions or just, you know, come to me and say things versus being quiet. <laughs> you can usually tell that when you're walking the halls, it gets harder to do that with virtual meetings, but certainly I look for, if we're having a meeting and I know there's a problem and no one's standing up to say there's a problem or they disagree with something, that's definitely a red flag for me. If everyone's contributing and feeling like they're part of the mission, they're very comfortable in telling us when we have problems or where we need to improve. In Orlando, uh, you must be a Disney World guest pass holder. No? <laughs> I actually have so many neighbors that work at Disney. I'm actually not. <laughs> and my son is a teenager now. So, you know, Disney, 
becomes uncool for a little while at a certain age when you're a teen. So, yeah. I'm sure, particularly if you're in Orlando, that's everybody's deal. (laughs) My middle daughter is going to graduate from college this year and Disney is still her. She loves the place. I mean, it's. I'll be surprised if she don't ultimately end up working for Disney. Little tidbit of uh, info that's funny there. My husband and I actually met working at Disney. Oh, you did? So you're from the area then? Not originally, but um, we did spend a couple of summers here. That actually is a really fun program. Uh, Disney does what they call a college program. So they bring college kids here for one semester at a time, and they work and learn the business and work in different areas. So my husband and I both did it for multiple summers, um, and then we met doing the college program. That's fantastic. Yeah, my middle daughter I mentioned, she's done that. She okay. went there and did a, uh, a tenure there, and uh, I think she wanted to stay even longer, but she came home. Uh, she loved it. Where did she, she work? She worked at the park. She was working at some uh, on some ride. And, I thought about uh, it. Okay. I mean, she, she thought it was absolutely fantastic. Learned a lot about customer service. I am uh, respectful for Disney customer service. I mean, they got it down. Yes. So it was yeah. very good. Anyway. Robin, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Learned a lot about AI ops. We'll put that in the show notes. Thanks once again. Very informative. Thank you so much for having me. And listeners, as always, thank you. Rate us where you get your podcast. Hit us on almartintalksdata at gmail.com for any comments, questions, concerns you have. We'd be, we'd be happy to uh, work with you or get you on the podcast. Thanks. And until then, we'll see you on the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out. Oh.